Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Radio Free for Fresno Wrestling as we come off the heels of WWE SummerSlam and Ric Flair's final match. What a freaking weekend of professional wrestling in the city of Nashville, Tennessee. But first and foremost, my co-host this week is no other than Jake from the Windy City. Jake, how are you doing? I am doing well. Very good, sir. Thank you for having me. It is a beautiful day outside. And clearly a crazy weekend in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, I'm still uh, feeling the lingering effects, but I'm really looking forward to talk what was around. And uh, yeah, let's have some fun today. And Jake, why don't you tell us about our special interview coming up later in the episode? So coming up uh, later in the episode, we had a great interview with the host of Sunday night's main event, Mike McGuire. We talked a lot about uh, his fandom and also uh, beginning his stint of hosting SNME uh, from the beginning of the year. And we talked a little bit about SummerSlam and Ric Flair's last match and some of the challenges AEW is facing right now. So it's going to be a great interview. So look forward to that. And ladies and gentlemen, you're receiving a 20 minute segment of that interview if you want to hear the full interview, it will be later on this week on the podcast feed, or you can go to our Facebook group at Radio Free Professional Wrestling, and a full interview will be up later this evening. But now, Jake, let me introduce you to the newest segment in Radio Free Professional Wrestling history. We're calling it Radio Free Professional Wrestling Flashback as we look back on SummerSlam and Monday Night Raw. It's RFPW's Flashback. The guys catch you up on what you may have missed in the past week of wrestling action. Jake, I gotta say, coming into SummerSlam, I wasn't really sure how the show was gonna be. But leaving pay-per-view at SummerSlam, I was decided. I thought it was one of the best SummerSlams. I thought it was a thumbs-up show as well. Uh, the main event was fantastic. It was entertaining. And uh, compared to last year, which it was very long and uh, it didn't do justice uh, to you know some of the fans and it just dragged on and on and on this one they came they kept, really kept consistent on time and you can definitely feel some of the uh the booking effects from triple h and uh yeah and we saw some very pleasant returns as well on SummerSlam, so I'm really, really happy about it. So it was definitely a thumbs-up show for me. Exactly, Jake. And we can see Triple H's fingerprints on this show from the Jump Street here as the first match on the card is for the Raw Women's title, Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. It goes about 15 minutes or so, and early on, Becky Lynch suffers an injury. Her shoulder has been separated, but yet she carried through this match. And at the end of this match, we see Bianca Belair finally getting that SummerSlam revenge from that 26-second defeat last year at SummerSlam. And we get a Becky Lynch face turn, but unfortunately, she's going to be on chef for a while. But hey, look, it's Bailey. And wait a minute, Dakota Kai? <laughs> Does Dakota Kai still work here? <laughs> and as well as Io Shirai, now called Io Sky. And I am so freaking lit about that. 
Eosky gets me high. <laughs> I'm so happy with that return. Yes, this was like moment I thought, ooh, this is going to be an interesting card. So I got to say, do you have a name for this new faction? I don't yet. I was going to say the Undisputed Huggers, but I'm probably, <laughs> well, probably be a little bit of a ripoff on that. But that'll be very interesting to think about. Well, my suggestion was going to be Strong Kick Style. Ooh, okay. That'll be pretty cool. Strong Kick Style. Strong hug style. <laughs> that'll be that'll be pretty funny. Um, I mean, I, I gotta say, another strong match between uh, Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. Uh, the near falls were believable, and they got the show off to a great start. Uh, the post match scene with Lynch offering a handshake and then hugging Belair was an unexpected twist. As much as Lynch's heel run has been, I remain baffled to this day by Vince McMahon's decision to turn one of his most over baby faces. Uh, the post-match scene, Bailey's return from injury, followed by Dakota Kai's coming back from the WWE scrap heat, followed by EO's elevation from NXT. Purgatory was unexpected fun that sent a clear message of change. Becky coming to the defense of Bel Air and seemingly returning to the babyface side of things was abrupt and yet another welcoming and exciting twist. It's kind of unfortunate that Becky went through, uh, um, suffered this this huge roadblock and then he's gonna she's gonna get surgery uh in a little bit as we saw uh, as she revealed last night on raw but yeah it was a very very welcoming um twist there and we move on from that match to possibly one of the best celebrity guest appearances in a match in wrestling history and jake i'm talking about logan freaking paul i came out of this show with mixed feelings about paul coming off like a modern day shane mcmahon he gets to borrow the moves of other wrestlers perform the big stunt table spot and then go home until it's time for his next special attention match but i gotta say after watching this he definitely proved me wrong i can't begrudge uh, logan paul for doing it he's a good athlete and it's impressive that he's able to do what he does in the ring with such limited training as well i mean this definitely came off like he just signed his his full-time contract with the wwe not too long ago uh, maybe close to like a couple weeks ago this big spot approach clearly served him uh i mean he probably he probably took that inspiration from shane and he's merely doing what the and paul is merely doing what the company asked him to do i'm i'm still not convinced that booking him as a baby face is the right approach when so much of the success that he he and his brother jake had uh, have had as boxers is due to people paying money with the hope of seeing them get their asses kicked. And initially when they started having Logan Paul as a baby face, I was like, do you guys even know who this guy is and what he and his brother does for a living? So it'll be pretty interesting to see what Logan Paul will look like going forward and what other matchups he will have coming up. Okay, so as I was watching this match, I put a poll on Radio Free PW, and I was asking the people, how would you rate Logan Paul's performance? I gave him like four selections. I gave him Bad Bunny level, I gave him Pat McAfee level, Drummond level, or David Arquette level. And apparently 60% went with Bad Bunny. I don't think he hit Bad Bunny level, because Bad Bunny was just in a different solar system, but I do think he was about as good as Pat McAfee on this card. Mm, that's a pretty interesting take that you have there. So I thought he was close to, but to me, honestly, I thought he was close to Bad Bunny level. Like for, definitely for his first, like his first two matches in Mania and SummerSlam. Really happy with what the results looked like. Well, we gotta give some credit to the Miz because the Miz this led this guy through the match. 
and a miss how he ever gets any credit about his wrestling style, but his style has lasted through years in the WWE system. Yeah, the Miz definitely helped him throughout this match and really did not let, you know, Paul go through the motions and and Miz was a definite heel, uh was a really well-rounded heel in this program. I mean, it was it was it was tremendous uh, from from Miz's standpoint. Uh well, a very well performance and um do you think we'll see see this feud continue between the two of them you know i feel like they should just leave that in the past and i don't know when we'll see logan paul again whoever he is facing next needs to be a good hand kind of like the miz so mm-hmm. whoever he gets next needs to be in the same mode of miz it'll be a very interesting to see what's in store for logan paul coming up yeah so yeah thumbs up thumbs up on that one Okay, so up next was the first match for Austin Fury as he faces Bobby Lashley for the United States title. And I had my fingers crossed. I thought I was going to have my prediction come true. But unfortunately, Bobby Lashley decided to get ticked off and just beat the heck out of Fury in about eight minutes. I didn't have any problem with it. A basic match that saw Lashley plow through Fury in less than five minutes. Uh, The match easily could have aired on Raw, and yet it felt satisfying for its place on the card. So I didn't have any problem with it whatsoever to be honest don't get me wrong i enjoy a strong bobby lashley crushing of fury and i'm happy to see they're going to give bobby lashley a good run with this united states title as we saw on monday night raw they are rehabbing the united states title hopefully they're going to raise it back up to a secondary level title instead of what it's been for the last probably decade absolutely i mean you know bobby bobby lashley looks great in this match um i'm still not endeared with theory uh that much I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, he just doesn't do it for me <laughs> at all. I mean, he's not a convincing, convincing heel. Unfortunately, he has that X-Pac heat for me. Not not that well in, endorsed in the ring, as well as his mic skills. Not the biggest fan of. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what, you know, what Vince saw in this guy from the very beginning when he started pushing him, you know, late last year or so. Well, let's move on to the next match on the card as the Judgment Day faces the Mysterios in a no DQ match, but Jake, they were tagging in and out. Why in the world are you tagging in and out in a no DQ match? Yes, absolutely. Uh, don't get me wrong. This was the one miss in this entire show, uh, this tag team match. Uh, don't get me wrong. The ring work was solid. Uh, my complaint is the lack of logic regarding the no DQ step. You know, I predicted that the stipulation was likely there to let Edge interfere on behalf of the Mysterios. And while that's what happened, the body of the match was a head scratcher in that the teams worked a traditional tag match style, even though there was nothing stopping them from all being in the ring at once. This felt especially strange when one of the Mysterios were isolated or even even being double teamed while the other Mysterio had to stand in the corner and wait for a tag for no good reason. And meanwhile, you got Edge returning which was well-received by the crowd, but he really needs to follow up with a home-run promo to get his character back on track. Yeah, and last night he kind of did that. I mean, he returned to his Alter Bridge song, and yeah, uh, overall I'm I'm happy that Edge is back, but I wasn't a fan of this match at all. Yeah, it was kind of a letdown coming off the first three matches we saw on this card. I'm hoping we're going to see Edge versus Van Bowder coming up soon, or Edge versus Damian Priest. Probably two good matches coming up for Edge in the next few weeks. We will move on to the next match on the card as we get Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin. And I was so thankful this was exactly what it should be 
Pat McAfee getting the one-up on Happy Corbin. Even Michael Cole said this match uh, wasn't pretty at times. Uh, there was some blatant issues, but I still pretty much enjoyed this match. I mean, McAfee had the smoother outings, and yet this was still over with the live crowd and was a fun match overall. The post-match scene with Corey Graves telling McAfee he got lucky, followed by the McAfee crotch chop, left me wondering if those two will eventually meet uh, in the ring. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Corey Graves is medically cleared, and while he's downplayed the idea of actually wrestling again, that's exactly one what you would expect him to do if, if he wants to eventually surprise everyone. Uh, everyone. Uh, either way, I remained happy with this match, and it was giving like the peace of mind of knowing that, oh, man. <laughs> At times, it was kind of iffy uh, on the performance, but, you know, Happy Corbin did well in, uh, in this match, and Pat McAfee really looks strong in the end, so it'll be pretty cool uh, to see what he does going forward, and uh, hopefully he continues to. I'm pretty. I'm really happy that he continues to do SmackDown commentary with Cole, and I gotta say that Cole was tremendous in this match. I mean, we always talk about the issues of WWE commentary, but I thought that it this match really made Cole, as well as the WrestleMania one, really made Cole come out of his shell for a little bit. I was freaking howling at the commentary from Michael Cole during this match because it felt like Michael Cole had been unleashed. And he's like, let me sure. show you I could be a freaking good commentator. And he was freaking good on this card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was tremendous. So that, you know, we always talk about uh, talking about people talking in your ears when you're in commentary in the WWE. And it feels like he really uh, outed himself well and showed a, showed a pr- tremendous performance from him. So... I mean, you can definitely tell that Vince Vince's fingerprints weren't in Cole's ear at the time. Okay, so we're up to the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match between the Usos and the Street Profits. And I was kind of surprised because going into this match, I was thinking the Street Profits would get the titles as we see the bloodline starting to lose their gold. But, Jake, I was wrong. We still mm-hmm. have a dominant bloodline, as we'll see later on. But first... The Uso retained their titles. Are they breaking the freaking street profits up? Um, that's a pretty good question. You can see a little bit of frustration between the profits. You know, even you know Ford barked at Jarrett, even though his count was fine, and that followed by Ford staring blankly ahead after he and Daw- Dawkins took the loss. Um, are they turning Ford heel? I'm gonna keep an eye on that. Uh, on what's coming up uh, uh for the next few TVs. Either way, it seemed like the end of the Profits championship chase is pretty much near. Pretty in- in- intriguing uh, seeing this uh, seeing this program uh, come to fruition. But let's talk about Jeff Jarrett, man. <laughs> like, uh, he, I mean, he was he was pretty good. He was pretty good in this match. Seeing how he really came on his own and was everywhere, and a good match. And just for this one. A good match that wasn't as hot as their Money in the Bank encounter. Uh, the addition of Jared as special referee really didn't amount to much, but I really enjoyed seeing him. Uh, they scared me during the opening minute by having Jared assert his authority after he declared on SmackDown that he was only there to count the pin, but then he just settled in and wasn't really a factor the rest of the way. Sure, the wrestlers grumbled about his counts, but the broadcast team was quick to point out that he did a fine job. You know, it's interesting, the, the spot where Ford did his best RVD impersonation by hitting the frog splash and then selling his ribs before going for the pin provided a nice explanation for one of the Usos kicking out of his finisher. And 
<laughs> sure. So yeah, for the frustration of the profits continuing to build. So overall, this is a this was a solid match. Uh, don't have any complaints about it. So I wish Jeff Jarrett could have showed more of a presence, but uh, probably he was just saving himself for the next day anyway. Exactly, Jay. I mean, he really only had one spot where he actually caught the super kit for one of the Usos, spun him around right into the street profits. Besides that, he was basically just a referee. I agree with that. So, um, I don't know. Are we going to see Jeff, or are we going to see a little bit more Jeff uh, uh, in WWE television within the next year? That'll be pretty interesting, and what kind of programs he'll, uh, he'll be involved in. It could be interesting, Jake. I also got a feeling that he's going to be more involved backstage in WWE underneath this new Triple H-led creative team. I'm pretty sure he will. I mean, he just came back, and then, for those of you who don't know, he he recently came back uh, just a few months ago. His official title is um, he's going to be booking all the live events, the house shows. Uh, he is a senior vice president uh, over there, so kind of kind of around that uh, uh, that Bruce Pritchard uh, type of uh, management role. So uh, it'll be pretty interesting to see what comes up. Okay, Jake. Then this being up prize appearance by Riddle and Jake. We didn't need this. I mean, I enjoy Seth Rollins, but it made Riddle look like a freaking dumb dumb baby face. Yeah, I was not a, I was not a fan of this at all. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool uh, to see Riddle out there, but at the end, uh, you know, Seth Rollins. You know, he called out Seth Rollins, and he he pretty much got the advantage on him. And, you know, look what happened. So, you know, Riddle doesn't seem as smart, doesn't seem really smart here, and kind of unfortunate for him. So not well uh, smartly booked as a babyface, unfortunately. You know, coming into SummerSlam, I was hoping they would have a added match with Seth Rollins versus somebody. Maybe they had a new returning person coming. Apparently, they didn't have nobody because they didn't put Seth back onto the card. But they mm-hmm. could have shaved this off and gave us another three or four minutes of Brock Lesnar using a tractor, and I would have been perfectly happy. Absolutely. Just could have filled out, filled that out with more of that. A uh, few more minutes with that, uh, with that last man standing match. So, yeah, I mean... I mean, Riddle's just going through the motions pretty much. Uh, he's uh, he's trying to find himself and uh, as a singles guy, and uh, yeah, not doing much for me for me recently, unfortunately. Okay, before we get to the main event of the show, we have one final match. It's going to be for the SmackDown Women's Championship as Ron Rasley faces Liv Morgan. Now, I have heard reports that this match got cut for time, but we see Ron Rasley from Jump Street just go armbar, armbar, armbar. And Liv Morgan probably has the best armbar defense in the world right now. Mm-hmm. While it may simply have been the, the story they wanted to tell in this match and not a shift in her long-term direction, uh, Rousey felt dominant and special again. Uh, she ragdolled Liv Morgan throughout the match and came off like an unstoppable killer. The finish wasn't for everyone, but I found it to be very creative and well-executed with the, the referee focusing on Rousey's shoulders, missing Morgan's tap-out. Rousey's post-match meltdown felt like a like a huge heel turn. Uh, then again, Morgan smiling at ringside while holding the title belts uh, that she knows she should have lost uh, could also be framed as a heel move. I'm just not sure where this is going. And to be honest with you, I I really like it. <laughs> it'll be it'll be pretty interesting to see the follow-up. And I mean, Liv Morgan uh, was a little bit sneaky and and some of her tactics in this match. It, it, uh, I gotta say, it's a uh, it was well done by both women. Jay, I love the ending to this match. I thought it was the best possible way to make both ladies look strong. Because the one thing mm. we were talking about last week on the show was, I was fearing that Liv was going to be a transitional champion. And by the way they did this finish, it left you with so many questions. I mean, you got to assume Ronda's going to be a heel, but she's a heel that has a justified point for being mad. Mm-hmm. 
and you're looking at Liv Morgan, and you're thinking, well, she's a baby face, but way she was looking at the title and smiling after she knew she actually tapped out, but the ref didn't see it. You're thinking, are they really going to turn her heel? Mm-hmm. I mean, Ronda has a just is has justification for actions, and yeah, Liv Morgan, <laughs> she she's really sneaky, yeah, in her in her way. So, I would probably save this off down the road maybe to like survivor series uh if not going into next year to better build this match up i mean who knows they could probably uh, make this match again at clash the castle but if, if it were me booking this uh, i would probably save this off for a little while well i do believe their booking ideas are up in the air at the moment because i feel like they had one plan going into SummerSlam with um, becky lynch getting injured i feel like those are gonna be on hold until they know exactly how long becky's gonna be out but I'm kind of happy that Liv is going to have a longer run. And eventually here, if she has a three-month run or a four-month run, you can take the title off of her and she won't look weak for it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Okay, Jake. It's time for probably the best SummerSlam main event in a long freaking time as we get Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar in a last man standing match. Ooh, and, a lot to dissect here. <laughs> and, and Jake, the Tribal Chief, he's coming out first. I was kind of shocked by that, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And when Brock came out, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was anything special. So I, I agree with you. So, it, I mean, the champion and also considering how, how much Roman, how much of a presence Roman is uh, and taking that that lengthy walk down to the ramp. Yeah, he should he should have definitely came second. You know, I felt that way for about. 30 40 seconds until i saw brock come out then he turns around he wants over and he has the best idea of the night because it's a long walkway he gets on a freaking tracker he drives the tracker down to the ring and allow me to go to a sidebar here for a minute jake because i actually have ridden on a tractor when i was about eight years old i literally had these things on two wheels as i'm making a turn with my grand uncle as we're piling the field so when brock lesnar made a hairpin turn i was like bravo brock because it made me remember this time when i was a kid i was riding the trasher and i had it up on two wheels and we got it back down all four but for that one moment there i thought man i'm gonna flip this sucker <laughs> that's really well done but uh yeah i mean considering the direction lesnar took and and went and went uh, out with a tractor it yeah i mean yeah this made sense that uh that uh, he came out and then the way he jumped off jumped off the tractor <laughs> actor and got on roman and clobbered him that was really it was really well done it was i love the start to this match and i was thinking as he was climbing it i'm going like i hope this holds him and then it was i'm going like oh god this is a great visual is this him standing up in like the crowd all around him and he tosses the might to Roman Reigns and he catches it and as we know you see flying Brock tackling Roman Reigns and we're off to this fight now the one thing I kind of iffy about this match was this is no hold far this is a last man standing match the Usos don't come out to help their tribal chief until about 20 minutes into this match mm-hmm yeah that's the the main problem that I had for this match um I mean you know the Usos definitely should have played like a bigger part on that to not just wait till the end of the match but overall this was an outstanding match Obviously, Lesnar driving the tractor to the ring felt like a scene out of the Attitude Era. Uh, it, it felt cute. It felt like a cute gag at first, but I never expected them to use the tractor in the way they did. Uh, Lesnar diving out of the bucket onto Reigns to start the match was fun. I would never have guessed uh, Lesnar was going to use the tractor to tip the ring up, causing Reigns to to tumble out of it to the floor. 
which is which is very funny. It like it looked like something out of a cartoon. Uh, I suppose if a company wants to incorporate a tractor, there's no one more equipped in modern day pro wrestling to drive it than farm boy Brock. Uh, the tractor stunts were a blast, though I do feel pity for the fans who paid good money only to watch the remainder of a match on the screen because the ring was blocking their view, especially in the front row <laughs> by the, uh, by the left where you can see where it was blocked by the big ring. <laughs> Aside from the tractor, the match felt like a hard fought battle. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of last man standing matches throughout in history. They were just very dull, repetitive, just, just not doing much for me, but I'm especially with the referees making long, dull counts at times when no one actually thinks the match will end. Uh, in this case, there was legit drama around whether Reigns or Lesnar would be able to beat the counts on numerous occasions. I don't know if the booking had the wheels in motion for this match, or if Triple H and his crew stepped in and came up with this after uh, Vince's retirement. Uh, it was... It was like a, a bat out of hell. Bodies were flying everywhere. And it, it, it was it was like, man, it was a sensational start to start to, with this type of booking. And in an era where five-star style matches happen so frequently that many are quickly forgotten, this was a spectacle that will be talked about for many years to come. And I had a lot of fun. I was jumping up and down, and I, and I definitely popped in some moments, especially, especially uh, the spot where... Brock Lesnar F5'd Paul Heyman. And I, I I was pretty shocked that that uh that Heyman took that spot and it was pretty cool to watch. And geez, and I mean I think the only down downside on this was Theory coming out uh, with the briefcase and immediately got clobbered, so <laughs> that didn't do well for him either. But overall this is this is a great spectacle. Exactly. I feel like Fury wishes I was the booker for WWE because he probably would have came out better for it. But I saw him come down. I was going like, you're a freaking idiot because only Roman Reigns was down at the moment. And you ran right into the freaking monster that was brought freaking Lesnar. And Lesnar just lays him out. Definitely just laid him out. Just He just looked like an idiot coming out. So, yeah, didn't do him any favors at all, but... <laughs> but other than that, the match was spectacular. It was, Jake. It was a proper send-off to this feud. If they're not going to revisit this for maybe a year or two, I'm perfectly happy how the story ended. I hope this is the end of this feud, to be honest with you. Like, we, this has been dragging along for coming up to seven years now. <laughs> Ever since, like, WrestleMania 31 uh, in San Jose. So, you know, we've seen this match a ton. This was the great, the great ending off point. Let's just move on. I mean, you, you, this, this end, this feud ended off in a high. Let's just do something else. Exactly, Jake. So coming out of this episode, how do you feel about SummerSlam overall? A terrific show that blew away my expectations. Uh, I went to SummerSlam expecting a a solid show, uh, but I was really looking for looking ahead to next week's TV shows as the likely real beginning of the Paul Levesque era as the head of creative. But the change definitely arrived at SummerSlam. Uh, the matches. The match finishes felt stronger than usual across the board. There were surprise returns and surprise turns. Michael Cole was armed with far more statistics than usual. The storytelling was strong and everything came together to make this a much more memorable show than it seemed like it had any right to be. So a definite thumbs up. And uh, yeah, I mean, close to a 10, 10 out of 10 show for me. Uh, definitely better than last year's SummerSlam, which was god awful. 
I was really happy with this year's SummerSlam. I feel like the main storyline coming out of Monday Night Raw and SummerSlam is, oh, hey, the Raw's women's division is back, and it's back with a vengeance. Yep, the women's division are are going to be a very a very uh, intriguing talking point coming up. And it does seem like they're they're coming back on its own. And with the booking of Paul Levesque, uh, I really hope uh, this will turn things around uh, in the near future. Considering how much screen time the women has had, you know, the past year, um, yeah, I really hope this really turns things around. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our review of SummerSlam 2022. Jake, why don't you introduce us to this interview that we did this past Thursday with Mike McGuire, a Sunny Night Main Event Podcast fame. Sweet. Joining us now here on the show is a familiar voice to many of our listeners. He is the host of Sunday Night's Main Event on the TSN Radio Network, the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and many other stations across Canada. He is also one of the most prominent wrestling reporters in the industry right now. He is Mike McGuire. Thanks for joining us, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm well. I don't know if I can live up to that introduction. That was uh, very nice of you, Jake and Sean. Nice to be here. I- I'm going to say I'm not so much a reporter, but I do follow a lot. Uh, reporter just sounds like I have way more responsibility. I... I- fully give credit to the very hardworking actual reporters and journalists out there but i i do host the show and i do love talking wrestling and so there's there's been a lot of well, i guess i do some vetting so maybe i am a reporter i don't know i don't think so though i don't, <laughs> I don't get a lot of breaking news i just kind of follow the trends but no it's anyway thank you very much it's great to be here no it's all good we're glad to have you here man um before we talk some news uh let's talk about you for a little bit uh uh, as some might know, uh, it's been over a little over six months since you've taken over full-time as the host of Sunday Night's Main Event. Uh, I think the first question uh, for me would be, uh, how's it going so far? Do you feel comfortable and happy in this new role? Um, how do you feel at this moment uh, now that you're a little, little bit over six months in? Uh, I feel great. I was overwhelmed with joy at the beginning and i i brought in some little things and jason agnew who of course created this show uh spun yep. off of live audio wrestling um he and i had started talking months before i actually kind of came in and and then even after that taking over and i think that i think that i finally found kind of what i like doing with the show still keeping in tune with what the show has been but i i like to I, I think I have a slightly different angle on things, but at the same time, I, I get to stay true to what the show was. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, and, and this is by no means a comparison on popularity level or anything, but I'm a huge fan of The Daily Show. And when Trevor Noah first took over, he was doing a lot of Jon Stewart's bits, or they were doing a lot of what worked in the Stewart era. And then, especially over the pandemic, which was different for him, but in my case, I can relate to it. He got to find his own voice in the show, and now it's a totally different program. I don't think we're a totally different program, but I feel pretty happy with where things are going. And I I can ask you more as someone who listens and follows, how do you think it's going? Because I can sit here and think I'm great all day, but it's more important to me what I think uh, the other people are, are saying than anything, so... You know, it's interesting because uh, I've started listening to the show since day one, 
and prior to that, uh, I've like many many of our listeners, I've started listening to the Law Live Audio Wrestling ever since my freshman year of high school, and uh, gotten you know gotten to know uh, to know even personally uh, all the hosts uh, with with Mouth Jay as well as John and Way, and to see how the tremendous chemistry you know all the all the hosts had over the years, it's it's uh, it's awesome. But when you came in, and then we have we now have like new people uh, coming into to the network, uh, you know a, a tremendous tremendous creative uh group of people i mean the way you just uh came into the show and then uh the amazing format that you've laid out it, it seems like you've been hosting it for years so i gotta give props to you like, well thanks dude i i still you know it's there's a lot more work that goes into that hour than i think uh i've ever put into any radio show i've done in 20 years and you know i think i'm doing one show at the start of the week and then especially the last few weeks fridays happen and you're like oh all right well there goes that whole format so like this this past friday for example was supposed to be my big lead and my big star guest was going to be conrad thompson who of course oh my goodness <laughs> is the is the pod father right and and he's on the show and we put the whole interview up for free but all of a sudden on friday vince happens and there goes the entire format so then it became most of the hour was Meltzer and I breaking down Vince's right. career and then uh, and then going into the Conrad thing afterwards. So it's kind of funny where it's like one guy who is the promoter is now gone. And this other guy who admittedly stumbled on wrestling and stumbled into podcasting has turned it into an empire where he gets to present his father-in-law's. <laughs> last match with, and his father-in-law just happens to be rick flair who many will argue is one of the greatest of all time so yeah it's 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 a weird time to be a wrestling fan it's a weird time to be talking about wrestling for sure but it's exciting it's different and a lot of people are talking about it so you know after these seven months uh, has it exceeded your expectations in terms of the show going smoothly and how many loyal listeners have continued to stick around do you enjoy getting to know and talk to dave these past few months to get his perspective on things you know it's funny there's a uh... Like anybody, especially at that level of a Dave Meltzer, there's there's detractors and then there's people that follow him. And and the funny thing is, when I first came in, I was like, I don't I don't know, like Dave's kind of controversial. And he's had times where he said things that were either taken out of context or frankly, you know, just weren't right. And, and he knows that. The funny thing is, I was kind of expecting at first someone to give me kind of a more more holier than now sort of presentation and the guy is anything but he knows a lot and a lot of it is all just up here in his brain where sure. it just it's you know i i haven't asked him if he has an eidetic memory or not but i think i think he has something like that because the guy remembers a lot just top of mind and i think as wrestling fans we all remember key moments but he remembers a lot of stuff so at first i was a little nervous about it i was like you know are we are we gonna stick with the Meltzer thing and and Boy, am I glad we have, because I think that Dave and I talk in a way where there's less opinion. I mean, sometimes I'll ask mm -hmm. him what he thinks is going to happen. There's a difference, and that's the thing. There's a difference between opinion and prediction. And I'm a big, I think we all are in a way as wrestling fans of fantasy booking guys. Like, what do you see happening? What do you think could happen? And people confuse that with fact sometimes. So... I don't get into the, hey, do you think so-and-so is a good person? Do you think so-and-so is a good wrestler? 
We don't do a lot of that. I leave that for you, the fan, the listener, anybody out there to interpret. And we talk about what we know is going on and what isn't. So, you know, Dave has his opinions and he's welcome to them. I have my opinions and you'll hear a lot of them on our Patreon. Like you said, the show is uh, patreon.com slash SNME radio. But you can you can have different opinions. Not everybody likes the same sandwich. Not everybody likes the same type of wrestling. And the more that we just be like that and say, hey, that's the way it is. Where are you originally from, and uh, how did you get involved in this wacky world of professional wrestling? Where am I from? Uh, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was born in Ontario, grew up mostly out west between uh, different towns in Alberta. Uh, there's a city called Red Deer, where I spent a lot of my life. And then uh, I went up to Edmonton which is Alberta's capital city and a great mm-hmm. town. Uh, pursued my radio career there. Got it. Got started. Ended up moving Woo-hoo. all over to uh, <laughs> moving all over the place for a little bit to, to different places. And uh, then I ended up in Regina about nine years ago, which is Saskatchewan's capital city and about two hours away from where Brock Lesnar's farm is. Uh, it's funny. You'd always get Brock sightings. People would call me at the radio <laughs> station saying that, oh, I just saw Brock. I could never get him on the show. I always had an open invite, but um, yeah, never, never heard from Brock. That would be the biggest scoop ever in in, in SNM well, my, history. <laughs> I don't know. My, my buddy Chad, who is on a morning show in Regina uh, on The Wolf, uh, he had Brock Lesnar show up at his house one time because somebody who knew him knew Brock and yeah it was hilarious so I was I I appreciate that I think there's a softer side to Brock that a lot of fans don't appreciate and I'm not going to go into it much because you know well maybe I should because then maybe he gets mad and comes and says hey quit talking about my nice side and then you know like buys me a steak or something i don't know but and i was in regina and now i've been in saskatoon for the last four years and uh and now i'm kind of uh kind of wherever i want to go but as far as how i got into wrestling it's something i always wanted to do uh i trained for a while so unlike a lot of media or whatever i can say i've taken several bumps in the ring um unfortunately one bump actually the left side of my body once oh. um i had a pre-existing back injury and because of that i i took a bump the wrong way and it shut down the left side of my body for about an hour. And I was like, well, there's the wrestling career. So just knowing people through the business through the years and then always wanting to do wrestling radio, that's that's how I got in. Uh, I've been ring announcing for the last 15, 16 years. And I've done everything from book shows to cover for promoters that overbooked a talent and didn't have money to bring them in afterwards. And so I guess I can say I finance wrestling shows. Um, and then I made sure to be there that night to collect my money (laughs) if you're not if you're not having enough money to bring a guy in i'm not sure you're gonna have enough money to pay me back so it's one of those things but uh overall my wrestling experience has been pretty great so Uh, what i also like uh uh, about you mike is that you have a considerable amount of uh memorabilia uh in in wrestling as well so i have a few uh, obviously i got the money in the bank uh, obviously the nwa world heavyweight championship up behind me Got the big gold belts and the TNT championship belt, but man, you have a considerable amount, um, and probably like a, a whole stash of them in, um, in shelves, right? <laughs> yeah, I I don't want to go. To- I'm sitting in my room right now. In fact, behind the curtain is where a lot of it is too. Uh, <laughs> there may be. Uh, I, I've had this thing, especially since I got to know the guy, but I've I've been trying to track down every Bret Hart figure ever made. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, at least at least one version of it, and so I've got a wall of Brett behind me. Um, off to the side is uh, a lot of figures and stuff. Um, I have a WrestleMania eight ring used turnbuckle pad, 
that's actually in damn near impeccable shape. It's it's almost scary how nice it is. And and now you can buy these like fake WWF turnbuckle pads. But I'm telling you right now, this is the real deal. And you can you can tell the differences easily if you know what you're looking for. And then, yeah, like you, I've, I've got a few belts. I've got a few belts, uh, a lot of them signed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a few. But yeah, I, I've got a big gold signed by Flair. I've got every title that Brett held uh, in WWE and WCW signed. Um, yeah, just I'm I'm a big fan of meeting the people that made these belts famous. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm just getting into the belt collection game, so hopefully I'll get these autographed. Uh, I got sweet. a I got a Divas Championship signed by Kelly Kelly, which hey. doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> whatever. She was engaged to my buddy Sheldon for a long time, and so. That's how that happened. It's <laughs> weird. Anyway. Is there one piece of memorabilia that you had at one time that you kind of misplaced or lost that you wish you still had? No. As well, a that's good. Fact. <laughs> okay. So getting back to my story here, I actually met Kevin Nash before he was Kevin Nash. He was nice. a center for the University of Tennessee's basketball team back when Allen Houston was on that team. And they had like the orange and white day for the basketball team. I actually met Kevin Nash then. And I must have been probably around 10 or 11, but the guy is so freaking tall at, and I was listening to all the guys. So I had the program signed by all the team members, and I have since moved from my original house to a new house. And in, in that move, I lost the whole autograph thing. So I don't have uh, autograph anymore. So yeah, so that's why I brought that story up. I uh, I have had stuff affected by a flood, um, but I didn't lose the items, but they were, they're not in prime shape anymore. And that includes, uh, I became pals with MVP after doing an interview with him a while back. And so the figure that he personalized to me got ratched and uh, a couple other ones, but yeah, nothing, no major losses, unfor- or fortunately, I guess. But uh, yeah, it sucks about that, man. I've, I've had other autographs go missing but nothing i really miss so uh, let's talk about the uh the upcoming uh some of the news items that happened uh it's been a crazy a uh, week in professional wrestling um when you first found out about uh about vince mcmahon retiring as chairman and ceo how did you initially find out about it <laughs> uh like everybody else the tweet yeah. the tweet you know i've got certain people that i get alerts for and vince is one of them and as soon as i saw that i was like Okay, he's been hacked. No, wait a minute. <laughs> nope this this looks legit. So then I I texted Meltzer and I texted a couple other people and and I was like, you heard about this? And uh, some people that that used to work there messaged me and they were stunned, um, as as a lot of us were, you know. So that was how I first heard about it. But to be honest, if you've been listening to our show, it didn't surprise me given how much stink was around him. And it made me wonder how much more is going to be around him. So we'll see what happens there. You know, we saw the reports of the Wall Street Journal, and now we know that SEC has launched probes into payments uh, made by Vince to settle those allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, do you think there's going to be more damning allegations uh, on the way? I don't know if this is going to be the end of it. Well, <laughs> we, we still don't have confirmation on that last two and a half million dollars. But right. if I were a betting person, <laughs> I would probably... Probably throw down something like that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he had a really expensive Denny's bill and forgot the receipt. But I think it was definitely something along those lines. But again, that's that's hyperbole and predict. You know, just a, an assumption. I don't have any real, real fact behind that statement. So I don't know. I think there's definitely where there's smoke, there's fire. Like I've said on the show before. I think that if anything, from a corporate standpoint, WWE has to save face and 
if you were to find out that, because remember, initially we found out that this was like maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. That was going to be the original issue, salary of this one person. And then we found out that, no, these other NDAs happened, but it was Vince's personal money, or was it? So now we're we're having all sorts of, of things come out. So until the investigation's out, we're not going to know everything. But, I mean, $14 million, now they're saying the other $3 million was his own money, right? So that puts us at 17 something now so i don't know that's a lot of damn money either way you know on one hand his impact and influence in in the sport of professional wrestling cannot be overstated um you know i'm sure once upon a time it was hard to imagine what disney would look like without walt uh but we know it continued to see what it is today and it's bigger than it has ever been um we now know that stephanie mcmahon going forward will be the chairwoman as well as co-ceo alongside nick Khan and paul levesque will over and Triple H uh, will oversee both creative and talent relations. Um, Sean and I have talked about it a little bit uh, this past week, uh, but this past week on Monday Night Raw, that was the first Raw that I've seen you know, from top to bottom in a while. There were some subtle things, but most of the episode pretty much focused on everything to do with SummerSlam. Um, do you expect um, any, um, any changes in terms of presentation? Um, maybe, uh, not immediate, but probably after SummerSlam. Even, you know, it's funny. Everybody on the news of Vince's retirement over the weekend had the entire company rewritten by the end of that day. You know, oh, they're going to change all the names back. Oh, Sasha and Naomi are going to be back tomorrow and and all this stuff. I don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't think it's going to be that drastic either. It just, it doesn't really make a ton of sense either because... As fans who are dedicated viewers, and again, I do our Raw review every week on our Patreon feed called Tuesday Morning Cooked, and, you know, whether you like, love, or hate the creative, it's working. It's working. It's selling tickets. It's got Peacock followers. They've got everything they need, and they're making a butt ton of money. And their stock's up. And, well, the stock is is up and down now. It's, It's kind of... It surged there on Monday, but then it's it's kind of crept back down to where it was. But, uh, you know, the, the company's making money. What ain't broke doesn't need fixing. But from a, a creative standpoint, I do see little nuances happening. I, I truly believe that a lot of that Raw was more of a, holy crap, we got a lot to deal with. Let's just get through this show and get to SummerSlam, and then we'll go from there. So there will be some changes. I think there will be some different talent coming up. But... For the most part, I think what they're what they're doing on the main shows, and this is maybe an unpopular opinion, it sells tickets. It works. You know, you don't have to like it to admit that it's uh, that it's doing okay. So I don't I don't know if we expect a ton of wholesale change right away, but yeah, there there will be differences down the road. I'm sure. Mike, uh, do you think the chances of a possible sale in the next couple of years now increased uh, because of this, or do you see Stephanie and Hunter just inheriting it? I don't know. I really don't know. And I put this question to Dave as well. I said, what do you think is more important to Vince? Do you think it's the money or is it the legacy? Mm. Because Vince always believed that WWE, no matter what, was a family company. Even when they went public, it was his company. So, I mean, Stephanie has long been seen as the heir apparent in the role she's in now. Mm -hmm. But... Does that mean that, I mean, it went from being millions to billions of dollars. Literally, I think the company's worth like, on, on the stock exchange alone, is worth like $5.3 billion right now, which is mind-boggling when you think about it. But yeah. I, I don't know. 
part of me sees the legacy continuing. It just seems weird not to have McMahon involved in WWE. But, again, these things go from being family companies, like you said about Disney. It goes from being a family company into becoming a conglomerate. And maybe during our lifetime, we witness WWE become that conglomerate. So I can't give you a, an honest, yeah, I think it's going to sell tomorrow answer or not, because I just, I don't see Vince letting go of that stock. I, personal opinion, if it was me and I had his mentality, at least what's been demonstrated, I would be willing it to my family, you know? But that's, again, that's just one guy's opinion. I could be wrong and watch this Friday. We'll find out the whole thing's for sale tomorrow. I don't know, but. See, I was thinking. Last week, I was telling um, Jake that I was thinking maybe 12 to 36 months might be the winner when they start thinking about maybe selling the company. Because I was thinking, since Vince can't be there in person, part, part of me would feel like if it was me, if I could be in person at the show and I've been there forever, I'd be like, maybe it's time for me to cash in. But like you said, the legacy might be more important. He might just hang on to it and just pass it on to the next line of the man's. And that's literally the $5.3 billion question right now. We don't know. Um, and I, I don't know if it would be a bad thing or not. Let's face it. WWE as a company is a machine now. It, it handles itself. There's so many people. There's a board of directors. There's, there's so many fail-safes in this thing that does it need a Vince McMahon? Mm. Uh, Wall Street seems to be indicating no, which was the big the big fear for years is that if Vince goes, what's going to happen to the company? Well, it's been a week now, almost. And, you know, like you said, the company is holding strong on the stock. I'm just looking at it as we're recording right now. Oh, yes. It's, <laughs> it's at like 68.44, which is still up, you know, a couple bucks from last week when it was, you know, at 66 or whatever. So, and that was when it closed on last Friday. So, yeah. At this point, we just don't know. Uh, you know, anything could happen. I mean, we never thought that. You know, Dana White and the Fertitta brothers would sell the UFC. Uh, and, well, they cash out for $4 billion, and, and, and they're still as popular as ever. So, at this point, you know, we're uh, we're sort of still lingering on the news, pretty much. Uh, let's switch some gears a little bit here and uh, uh, talk about um, probably the lingering effects uh, on this for AEW. Uh, do you think this will have an effect on all lead wrestling in any way? And uh, what challenges do you see for them uh, as a result of this, so th th could this be an opportunity for them, or uh, what? What do you see happen here? Oh, the AEW question. Talk about the the what could have been, um, and it may still be. It's still young, right? But I do notice Tony is starting to settle down a little bit when it comes to how he behaves during media conferences, for example. However, we still see things like. The tweet that came out on Friday where he declared himself the longest tenured CEO in professional wrestling and then just played it off like, well, it's a factual tweet. It's a factual tweet. There, There is something to be said for grace and victory. And it's not really a victory because WWE is still around and still making way more money than AEW is. I think that as long as AEW can remember what brought them to the dance... And it was that sense of humility, and it was that sense of, sense of fan friendliness. And the second they lose that, that's when they start losing people. And they are, they've already started losing people just based on some things. But I think AEW needs to worry about its own problems before they worry about Vince McMahon or WWE, which is clearly something they're not doing. They're, they're clearly very distracted by it. So 
let me ask you guys something here. Dynamite was last night. I watched the show, and we had two matches uh, bookended mm-hmm. where there was significant color. There was significant blood. Does blood matter to you anymore? Not really. I mean, it used to be... It, it used... Well, it really mattered in that initial pay-per-view at Double or Nothing in 2019 when it was Cody uh, and Dustin. And yeah, it and I thought that you know when we we, we found out that uh, that Dustin bladed and and all of us were like were in awe of it because like this was a one hell of a brawl maybe and and I I was definitely into it I said oh my goodness this is such a different product from the WWE I, I might certainly look forward to this and then with but you know unfortunately uh, over the past year I mean it seems like they just kept going and going and. Especially in John Moxley matches, <laughs> I think specifically, it's like it's like almost every match, you know, John Mo- uh, involved with John Moxley, uh, it's like color is involved. Where it's so it's like it definitely lost some of its luster. And <laughs> yeah, and, and Sean, same question. But before yeah. you answer, like, I guess the question is, do you remember the first time you saw someone bleed in a match that you were watching live or even on a video cassette? If we go back that far. And do you remember that feeling? And, and does, it, does it bring back that feeling to you anymore these days? Okay, so I would say it would have to be probably a match with Flair versus Sting somewhere back in the early 90s. And my, it doesn't anymore, especially when we come talk about John Mosley. He's the prime example where it seems like you, hit, you can go ahead and take the free space on the bingo, bingo card saying John Mosley will bleed. Put your bingo card right there, put the spot. And the other thing about this last week's um, Dynamite, I felt like Jericho was on there just way too much, and I didn't really need him on commentary either for the last match. Well, good luck keeping Jericho off AEW TV. I mean, that's <laughs> you, know, you got a you got a better chance asking the clouds to move to the side of for a day. But uh, it's um, for for me, it's just what made AEW special was it was that alternative. It was something different. They were thinking outside the box, and now it seems that they have their own formula that they seem to be sticking to and to me it's a lot more predictable than than raw even which is saying something because we have a running joke where up until this past week every time you got thrown outside of the ring we were going to break right and that's that's an AEW thing that they do they go to picture in picture picture in picture mm-hmm. and now it's like okay we know what we're going to get every week and then the question is is it the wrestling that excites you or is it the fact that you're there and you're going to be on TV that excites you because AEW is a show to watch. And I've said it on our show is, is sometimes challenging to watch as a TV viewer. I just, the production's not that great. Sometimes there's a lot of, of missteps with camera work. There's a lot of missed shots. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. The audio is sometimes off a lot more than it should be. I mean, Mm -hmm. They're three years into doing this. If anything, they should have it nailed down now, right? But they might also fall into the same problem that WCW did, where WCW didn't have a dedicated crew. WCW had contracted crew that went all over the country. And Bischoff brought that up. He said it was unlike WWE, where they have this this amazing camera crew that know how to do every shot. But... I think they must have some house people that, that go on the road with them. I mean, they have a lot of old WWE guys in that TV truck. So 
Mm-hmm. You would think you would think they would have had to explain some of that and said like this is how we do it, but I I don't know. There's there just seem to be a lot of glitches as of late, and I'm I'm expecting AEW to be more polished maybe okay. than it is. And I'm not detracting from AEW. I got friends in that company too, and I got a lot of appreciation for a lot of what they do. There's still room for improvement, obviously. Well, there's room for improvement in everything. I can say that yeah. about my own show. You know, it's it's. <laughs> It's something where, great, there's room for improvement, but then there's also a point where you regress. Sure. And I'm worried that AEW is going to regress more. And part of that is is Tony maybe spreading himself too thin. Are you concerned that they... I don't know if you saw a lot of TNA uh, 10 years ago. Are you concerned that they might be heading that route uh, with Hogan and Bischoff? Um, No, I don't see that being a thing. Tony's already said that that there's no interest in dealing with either of those. Well, he's had Bischoff on as a, as a, you know, as a talent a couple times. But I mean, like the TNA formula where they just uh, just keep, they just don't know what they're doing half the time. There's bringing in constant WWE people and, you know, the booking just going haywire and all that. But I, that's kind of already happened, hasn't it? I mean, how, how many, how many ex WWE talents have we seen come in where they make that splash and then they disappear. Mm. Uh, Ruby Soho is a great example of that. She came in on fire and now is just not even on a simmer at this point, even though she's involved in a big feud again. <laughs> Remember when Ember Moon or Athena uh, came in and then, you know, <laughs> we're, we're the but that's just team. it. Yeah. <laughs> they all get this great giant pop when they come in, but then what do we do with them? Do they, you know, do they become a hot contender? Uh, Claudio comes in. Great. Becomes the ROH champion in an unbelievable match, unbelievable squash match. But, oh, yeah. But it was unbelievable in the sense, too, where you just had, you know, giant baby face versus, you know, I've heard this term used on several shows now, giant baby face versus tiny heel. And Gresham, whether you like, love, or hate this statement, he's stacked, he's, he's built, he's jacked up. He's jacked up, yeah. But it ain't like Cesaro's missed the gym. Or Claudio, so you're gonna put them in there, and we know that the Claudio is a wrestling machine. It should have been a squash match. That's exactly how that match needed to happen. Sure, but nobody's happy about it. And and talk about talk about the buildup that wasn't for Claudio becoming the ROH World Champion. Oh, he's never he's never held it before. That's all they said. That's all they said over and over again. There was very little word from him talking about you know. To, to win this title of the company that helped mold me into who I am and none of that, none of that. So, eh, that's like the only reason. So that's kind of my problem with it as well. So, <laughs> well, it's fine to chase a title you've never had before. And it's fine to chase a, a world championship because you've never been one, but make it matter for more than three weeks. Sure. Make it a chase. Have, have Gresham get a screwy finish on him or something first. And then the next ROH pay-per-view, you've got all that time to build up to it, but no, we got to get him back on AEW, except we didn't. So, oh yeah, exactly. I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't want to sit here and have this be a total AEW bash session either. But I just I worry that there's there's too much going on and not enough people paying attention. And by that I mean backstage. Uh, how interested are you in Ric Flair's final match? <laughs> I wasn't as interested as I was after I had the conversation with Conrad. And I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that interview or not, but if yep. you have, if you haven't good. yet, I I implore you to go check it out. And this isn't just to plug the podcast, but snmeradio.com. We put the whole episode up for free, which is normally just a Patreon move, but I felt that the content in this show was too important 
to just sit behind a paywall. And that's no disrespect to our patrons, but sometimes you have something too good that you, you just got to share it with everybody. And that's what I did with this one. So if Ric Flair wants to put him, and I, trust me, I'm not really looking forward to seeing another Flair match because you've seen one, you've seen a thousand of them. But if he wants to do it one more time, he's got people that are supporting him. He's talked to his doctors. He's checking with everybody. I ain't here to tell anybody. Ric Flair, to Jake, to Sean, to anybody, that you should give up on a dream. And you should dream until your last damn day. And if you've got the capability to do it, then you know what? Friggin' do it. And that's what he's doing. So it bothers me when I hear the jokes of, well, we're going to pay 25 bucks to watch Ric Flair die in the ring. Would you say the same thing about Owen? Would you say the same thing about Draws, who was incapacitated in the ring? You know, I paid 25 bucks to, you know, I paid 40 bucks to see Owen Hart die in the ring. No. Mm. Now, two different situations, I know. But we're still talking about a man's life here. And as someone who has had his heart touched, and I don't know if either of you have gone through the experience of a, a heart surgery or anything like that, or even a procedure, but the second that happens to any human being, they say that your life changes. They, you know, go back and find this interview with Robin Williams and David Letterman. And that's what opened up my eyes to this before I ever had my procedure done. They say that when your heart gets touched, it changes you because it makes you immortal, a mortal, not immortal, a mortal you realize that there is an end to all this. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit at home and be an old man and curmudgeonly say, oh, I wish I could have done this, I could have done that? Or are you going to do what Rick... And I can't... Like, guys, I don't have a stake in this pay-per-view, okay? I'm paying 25 <laughs> bucks like everybody else. But I, I, I get it now, and I get it a little more than I did as the, the fan just looking at it going, oh, God, Rick, why? Why, Rick, why? But I, I get it now. <laughs> Well, Mike, it's been such uh, greatly appreciate you taking your uh, taking the time to um, get out your busy schedule just to talk to us. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, what do you have coming up in store for Sunday night's main event this weekend, and how can people continue to follow you? Well, I'll tell you right now. Obviously, there's build up to this AEW show in Canada coming. In fact, I just got confirmation a minute ago from John, my media guy at AEW, saying that around mid-September, we're going to start having some AEW talents on the show to uh, build awesome. that up, obviously. So that's pretty dope. Uh, every week, Dave Meltzer and I go through the world, and of course, we just went through SummerSlam, uh, Ric Flair's last match. All that has been, uh, been documented as well. So um, yeah, by the time you're hearing this, I'd love to tell you what's happening, but who knows? <laughs> that's... <laughs> Every day the show changes, but uh, you can follow the show at snmeradio.com. We're at SNME Radio on basically all the socials. I'm at McGuire Show, M-C-G-U-I-R-E Show on uh, Twitter and Insta, and I'm on Facebook as well. You can, you know, all the stuff, and I'm, I'm sure right. you'll, you'll throw it out there. But, uh, fellas, thank you for this because I, I love talking wrestling. This is why... I was so stoked to get the the spot on Sunday night's main event. And when you reached out, Jake, I was like, yeah, as long as I got the time, man, I'll make it happen. So yeah. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Hopefully, uh, hopefully down the road. Thanks so much, Mike. Jake, that was an amazing interview from Mike McGuire, a Sunday night main event. Well, the thing I remember most about this interview was his chatting about Ric Flair and what we thought was going to happen during this final match for Ric Flair. How do you feel after seeing the said match? Okay. So, this match was a lot of fun for about three quarters of the match. Uh, that's when it got scary towards the end when Flair seemed to be 
out of it. I think it was when when Jay Lethal uh, gave Flair the suplex. Uh, he appeared to be understandably exhausted by the end of the match. And I mean, we always talk about wrestlers always having that itch to come back. And we always talk about never say never uh, in terms of professional wrestling. I really hope he never does this again, to be honest with you. Um, as much as it was about Flair and to be honest with you, the MVP of this main event was undoubtedly Double J Jeff Jarrett. He and Karen were heat magnets and did a fantastic job working up the crowd. Andrade and Lethal may have done more moves uh, in the ring, uh, you know, fantastic high flying moves, fantastic technical moves, but Jeff Jarrett was terrific in working the crowd and definitely deserves a lot of credit. Um, meanwhile, uh, Commentary was pretty good as well. Tony Schiavone deserves a tip of the cap for trying to keep it things together uh, at the broadcast table. I mean, he had a tough assignment in that his sidekick, David Crockett, spent a lot of time laughing and just uh, was in and out every now and then. I mean, uh, with that four corners match, I mean, it seemed like David Crockett uh, really, really was into it, but it was fun to hear them together again. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, some mixed feelings regarding this match, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I it didn't it I didn't really come out of it in a very positive way. Uh, even though that it some of the other some of the other guys, it was it was really solid for them. Jay, I'm happy for everybody on the undercard who had a chance to have a large audience see them wrestle. And like you said, the flare match was good for about three quarters of it. If they would have the power of hindsight. If they could have ended that match with the figure four the first time on Jeff Jarrett and having Jarrett tap out or Jarrett just get doing the one, two, three there, I think everybody would be, okay, Flair, you had your last match. You got through it. You're good. We're good. Have a great night. And as you see Flair laying on the ground by the corner, I'm going, is anybody going to call Audible here to go like, let's just take this home right now so we can check on Flair. Yeah, I mean, they probably did at the end there with uh, when Flair locked in the the figure four on Jarrett and it, it, when when Kyoto went for the the final pin I mean it looked like yeah I mean both both those guys had their arms down and <laughs> it definitely looked like it would have been a draw but you know they they decided to end it there uh there you know at least yeah it looked really wonky um at least uh, you know uh Flair uh, uh locked the the figure four in so it definitely looked like you know Jarrett uh Jarrett <laughs> Jarrett got pinned there so, but yeah, I mean, a lot of problems in this match, but I mean, but to be honest with you, this show overall, uh, this, this is what, I mean, this definitely was not heroes of wrestling level. I mean, it was a pretty tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, undercard as well. The four corners match, uh, from match with the triple a guys. I mean, I mean, throughout the weekend, uh, I, I mean, watching WWE, watching the G1, uh, watching G1 matches uh, all this week uh, and well, well as going into the weekend. Um, I did not see, I, I did not see uh, the start of the stardom uh, five-star grand prix yet. I am planning to do so, but yeah, this was, this was definitely my match of the entire weekend. Uh, the wrestlers worked at a, such a fast pace early on that I thought they might be going around five minutes as well. 
Uh, Ray Phoenix, Ray Phoenix uh, defeated Laredo Kid, Black Taurus, and Bandino um, in that four-way. Uh, the live crowd ate, ate up the spot fest, and everyone involved worked hard. And, yeah, definitely the best match of the card. And maybe the best match of the weekend. I kind of have to agree with you. I thought that was an excellent four-corner match. I also enjoyed the fact that I get to see the Bristles versus the Von Ertz. If you haven't seen the Von Ertz, you should check out MLW, where they wrestle a lot at. Mm-hmm. And if you're fans of the original Von Ertz, this is, I remember right, Carrie's Kids. And they embrace the Von Ertz heritage. They use the claw, and I feel like they are a good young tag team that's on the rise. And you can see them eventually, probably in AEW or WWE, especially with Triple H being ahead of WWE now. I like to see them in NST 2.0. Absolutely, yeah. I hope WWE does pick them up uh, within uh, within next year. Actually, uh, another match I will recommend uh, in this card is the uh, the three way for the Impact Wrestling Knockouts Championship: uh, Jordan Grace, uh, Rachel Ellering, and Deanna Perazzo. Um, Jordan Grace defeated uh, Ellering and and Perazzo in a three way uh, in nine minutes and five seconds to retain the Knockouts Championship. A very solid match, all things considered. Uh, Maybe the live crowd didn't really seem to know who to side with, but they did react to some of the bigger moments of the match. So, and uh, yeah, I mean, Grace caught Ellering in a rear naked choke while Peraza was at ringside and got the submission win. Pretty well done match. And yeah, I mean, I, I would say Impact definitely got the best women's division, uh, seeing some of their some of their stuff in the past uh, several months. So yeah, really solid match uh, from uh, from three of these ladies. Well, Jake. Man, this hour has gone by so quickly. This is becoming the quickest hour in professional wrestling podcasts, but it's always a great time talking to you, Jake. Have you have any final words for our listeners? Yeah, you can follow me. Uh, thanks for having me again, Sean. Uh, it was a great pleasure. Uh, if you want to follow me more to get some of my takes, you can follow me at Jake Allenar, uh, J-A-K-E-A-L-L-O-N-A-R. Uh, and you can see, uh, and you can also, uh, you can also follow uh, some of the guys, uh, uh, on my Facebook, uh, uh, on um, I also have some presence on uh, on Facebook as well, uh, commenting on some uh, post wrestling stuff, uh, Sunday night's main event stuff. So uh, you can follow some some of uh, those groups as well on uh, groups as well on Facebook. And um, yeah, overall it was a fun weekend in, in the world of professional wrestling, and uh, it'll be pretty interesting to see what both WWE, AW, as well as other companies have in store for the remainder of the year since we're uh, at the beginning of August. Oh my goodness. Uh, this year is going, going by so fast. Uh, it's just crazy, Sean. <laughs> exactly. Jake quickly. It's going to be wrestle King season again and written blink of an eye. But before we go, Jake, I have to mention congratulations to the alliances of the England women's soccer team, or I'm sorry, David English football team as they won the women's Euro cup this past weekend. So go lines and David, <laughs> I hope you're doing well. We'll talk to you guys next week on Radio Free Professional Wrestling. Until then, stay stunning. Brother. This is Sergeant Arms of Christina on behalf of the guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please head over to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next time, the liberation continues.